Wonderful. Thank you. We're finishing up a sermon series today, Things We May Have Missed. What are those books that sometimes we might avoid, some, some difficult books like Revelation or some, some of the minor prophets or maybe some smaller books like Titus? We're going to hopefully come back to this series someday because I think there's more than just these two or three that we've looked at this week. And so to finish up, at least for this season, we're going to turn to Ecclesiastes. Nobody's clapping for that. <laughs> and you shouldn't be. Did you hear what Linda just read? I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're an Edgar Allan Poe fan and you're reading that and getting a warm and fuzzy, I need to talk with you soon, right? Because this, can you imagine me telling Renee, this is the scripture reading for today? Hey, go up and talk at kid time about meaninglessness, vanity. It's a tough word. And in this season, I realize it's a tough word word, but it's right for us from time to time to do that reflection. And also in this part of this series, I want to hear the whole counsel of God. I want to hear the lamentations when we're going through a time of struggle like last week, but I also want to hear what, what does Ecclesiastes have to say? It's the exact opposite situation, and God has a word uh, for that. It's interesting, J.I. Packer died this summer. Many of you have read him, a great thinker in the Christian faith. And when he was asked about what are his favorite books of Scripture, he said Ecclesiastes is near the top of the list. And here's why he said that. He says, the author of Ecclesiastes was a realist about the many ways in which this world gives us a rough ride. But, but while temperamentally inclined to pessimism and cynicism, I think the writer of this book was kept from falling into either of those craters of despair by a strong theology of joy. Actually, nobody says the word enjoy more in Scripture than this writer. This is the wisdom literature, these five books. You've got the Proverbs that tell us how to behave. You've got the Psalms that tell us how to worship. You've got the Song of Solomon to tell us how to love. You've got the book of Job that tells us how to suffer. And now you have Ecclesiastes, which tells us how do you live in this world? Sometimes it's difficult and sometimes it's not. How do you respond? Now, if you can't be with us on Wednesdays at our new time of 6 o'clock, we are going to be doing pastor's Bible study online. So we'll keep online going. So tune in a little earlier at 6. It'll be on YouTube. And we're going to unpack this book. But what I want us to do is deal with the hard part of chapter 1. We'll go to chapter 12 to finish up. But there's some hard words for us here. As this preacher, teacher, we think it's Solomon, the son of David. Um, and matter of fact, if it is Solomon you can expect there's going to be an amazing opening. I mean, if he's a good speaker, a good writer, he's going to start with a joke or some kind of hook or some kind of great story. What do we get Solomon uh, saying to us in chapter 1, verse 1? Turn to your word. Meaningless. Meaningless. All is vanity. It's got to get better. Skip down. <clears throat> verse 3. Work is Meaningless. He's got to get better than that. Drop down to verse 8. Everything the eye could see <clears throat> is wearisome, and we are never satisfied. Yeah, that's the Bible. <laughs> but he's saying that. As he observes his world, this is what he sees. Now listen, this very, in a very real sense, this is not a, this is not a book for new believers. 
because it's a hard book to walk through and to go through. You want practical advice? Proverbs is great. You live like this, this is what you will get. But I've heard somebody writing on Ecclesiastes that says, this is for the elite. So you must be the elite. You're here. If you're joining us online this morning, you're the elite because you've got to be grounded in your faith to deal with these tough questions. As we did in Lamentations, what do you do when you've lost it all? But the contrast here is, what if you have it all? What can that path do to disrupt our walk and our dependence upon God? Because if you look at this, if this is Solomon, he's got wives, he's got children, he has all kinds of money, he has every kind of possession you could want. I read a story this week of somebody trying to rescue somebody who had been in a horrible car accident. They had taken their Tesla too fast around a curve and the car flipped threw him out, but the car went over the cliff. Now in doing so, sorry to be graphic, he had lost an arm in that. And so here's this man overlooking the cliff, arm gone. And so this person pulls over immediately, says, are you okay? And all this young man can do, looking over the cliff, says, my Tesla, my Tesla. And the man says, sir, you're probably in shock. We've got to get a tourniquet on that arm. You've lost your arm. And the man looks down at where his arm used to be. And of course he says, My Rolex, my Rolex. All right, it's not a true story. But that's how he was fixed. This man had all the world's goods. Everything was Solomon's. And he could have been fixated on those things. Those could have ruled his life. He has it all, and he has not only that, but we know he has the wisdom of God in fullness. He's also a politically powerful man. He pretty much has everything that this world can give. And where does that path take you? Sadly, Charles Williams says, in response to this book, it takes you two places. And the first of that is this, boredom. Now, as C.S. Lewis talks about boredom, he says a Christian should never be bored and he should never be boring. Something right about that. But when you listen to what people say in response to a poll a few years ago about why they drink, why they drink too much, just bored. Vander Holyfield had made about a quarter of a billion dollars. They asked him, why do you keep fighting? There's probably several reasons why. Quarter of a billion dollars. I'm bored. You keep going through this book and go to the next chapter. The author strived after all kinds of thrills of life. Pleasure, work, accomplishments, and he's bored. We can do that, chase after the next thing, thinking that will fill. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say, if you decide to make thrills your regular diet and try to prolong them artificially, they will all get weaker and weaker and fewer and fewer, and you will be a bored, disillusioned old man for the rest of your life. Looking across his life with all that kind of affluence, and he says it's boredom. And then also in our scriptures, verse 2, we see the meaninglessness of it all. If that's all there is, if that's what I'm chasing. 35 times in just these 12 chapters, you get that word meaninglessness or meaningless over and over again. And it's interesting. We can be driven to one of those two paths. You know the other place where you find that word meaningless? is Job. And you get it. You've been crushed by loss and hurt and bad counsel. And so you're wondering, just as Jeremiah did in Lamentations, where are you, God? And you can feel that. Some of us have been there. 
If you're there, I want to talk to you. I'm so thankful for those who come and talk to me in this season about that. So much loss, Lord. Where can I find meaning? Where can I find your purpose? Where can I find your presence? But also in this other path, Solomon's saying it can come here as well. You've got all these things before you, all these things at your fingertips, and yet not only can there be boredom, but the sharp contrast that you can look around and say that everything is meaningless. When you have everything, now think about that. His father had been running for his life. His father's kingship was plagued by distress and betrayal, and Solomon's saying, I got it all. And there's boredom, and it's meaningless. So we have to hear that word. To hear that other side of the coin, do we wrestle there with vanity and chasing after the wind? I said, sadly, a week or two ago that more people die of selfies than they do shark attacks. Somebody died this week of a selfie, fell off a cliff, because I just got to get that right shot for somebody to look at me. We try so desperately to fill, to find that in another person. And over the last couple of months, hearing of, of, of someone talk about, if I could just find that person, then they found that person and found out that person wouldn't fill them. That person actually filled them with more anxiety. And they found the depths of, of their, their, their needing to be filled through that. You been there? If I just get this house, I'll be settled. If I get this job, I'll be settled. If I can get this person out of my life, everything will be okay. Solomon chased after everything, actually got everything, and what we see him struggling with is meaninglessness. Heron Majid gotten back from the grocery store where he lived in Florida, and when he got there, he realized he had lost his credit card he had left it there, and so he called the credit card company and said, hey, just want to let you know I've lost my card. Can you cancel it? And they let him know, well, it's already been used. There's a pizzeria down by that grocery store. It's already been used. We'll stop the card. After he hung up, Heron got back on the phone and called the police and said, somebody got my card. Somebody had ordered two large pizzas with black olives on both. That should be arrested just for that. But anyway, that's me. Um, they went and they found the guy who's still there eating his pizza. Middle-aged guy. And they arrested him. They asked him, why would you, why would you do this? Did you, did you need to eat? He says, are you kidding? I'm here on vacation. I've got a dentist practice worth about three to four million dollars. They also found out that this man had about 250 bucks in his wallet. But there was a card. Let me just soak up a thrill always reaching what will fill, what will get me through, wanting and longing and finding out he had nothing. And that's, as you go through 2 through 8, and, 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 and verses 2 through 8 of our passage, as hard as it is to hear, no thing and no one will fill. This, this work in, in verse 3, creation in nature is God-given and as beautiful as it is, it won't fill. Verse 8, whatever beauty we can behold, it will not be enough for the eye or enough for the ear. It is not enough. And you go through the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, whatever pleasure it is, 4 through 7 or 11, whatever accomplishment, activity, or acquisition it is. Chapter 2, 18 through 23, again, whatever work can produce, it just doesn't fill. And that's why this afternoon we're going we're gonna to gather in our parking lot because we've understood it's not grasping at the world that fills. It's that little cup, just that little piece of bread 
that little bit of juice on World Communion Sunday, I've only been filled with him. That's God's great plan of salvation. Not just are my sins come to the altar and be forgiven, as we heard so beautifully sung, but come to Jesus because it's God's plan that after we've been forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes and what does he do? It's the word you see over and over again in the book of Acts. He comes to fill because he knows we're empty. C.S. Lewis or Bono of you too, we're all created with that God-shaped hole. And it's only Christ who will fill. One other, one other word of warning too, if you go down to verse 9, is just this reminder again that we can be fascinated by the new. We can do that. Everything, every ad you see says new, and then they add new and improve, right? We're fascinated by what's new. We can line up, and I love that we're reading Christians. I've said before, my college minister said to me years ago, if you're not a reading Christian, you're probably not a growing Christian. But we can race to the Christian bookstore or listen to the latest Christian podcast and say, give me the most cutting-edge tools. I want to get the newest and latest thing for parenting, marriage, growth, whatever it might be, that's wonderful. But understand, and here's the reminder from Ecclesiastes, there really is nothing new under the sun. There is no new truth, because if it would be a new truth, then we would not, it would not be the same God. We heard it in the prelude today, but you also remember it in the hymn. The hymn writer says to us, it's, it's nothing new that I've found. I heard an old, old, an old, old story about a Savior who came from glory. And just, just walk through that hymn about he went to Calvary and died for a wretch like me. Now, some of you may have been around in 1939 and say, that's not an old story. That's a new hymn. I don't like it. It's too contemporary. It's an old story. Now, God works, Isaiah 43, God always works in new ways, and he always wants to do new things in and through his people. Don't miss me there. But we can get caught up in the new, but when you look at the Judeo-Christian reminder is, know what has been done in Christ. It's in him that we have our, our being. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we're filled, and it's in him that, that something new will come, not grabbing the latest fad or the latest trend. It's always in Christ, and when he comes, he does come to, to fill. And that's how I love how this book ends. After all this looking at the world, and for us, it's right for us in our culture to look at ourselves and say, Lord, have, have, I, have I chased after other things? Am I chasing after new things? Have, are there places in my life that are stale, or places in my life that are not pleasing to you? If there, I want to be filled by you and not by things. Am I using things, using people? We want to do all that work. But you get to the end of chapter 12, and what does he say? Remember your creator. And then later he says, these words, the words of the sages, they come from one. It's the shepherd, the shepherd of your souls. So just fear him. Keep his commandments. But this reminder, at the end of all of this, he turns us again. After he has seen it all, after this preacher, teacher has tasted it all, after this preacher, teacher had had it all, and he says about this world, it is not what you think. But let me tell you about the shepherd who is. Let's pray about that. Father, this is a difficult word this morning to look upon Solomon's life, to look upon our own lives and, and to confess and see where things or people or accomplishments or work have, have either been an idol to us or have, uh, Father, had a place in our heart that they should not have had, that we can look and do that honest work and say, say they have been wind. Uh, in some ways they've been vanity. Now, we know they're good things. We know they're good things that you've blessed us with. 
You've blessed us with people. You've blessed us with work. You've blessed us with things. But Father, we want to recommit in, in an age where there's so much at our fingertips. We want to say again, we need you. And we're dependent on you. Father, we pray that it would be you, your son Jesus, your Holy Spirit. That would be who we would chase after. And that, Father, you would bless us and do something new and that you would fill. For, Father, we know that you are enough. Take our eyes off of this world. Put our eyes on Jesus. Help us to come to his altar, we pray this day. In Christ's name, amen.